We the ones. We the ones they talking about. Broadway Sports Media. Choose your fighter. Justin and Justin Titans podcast show. Some of it was bad, but hopefully you'll you probably piece something together. Outstanding. There's an earthquake in the middle of the podcast. Unbelievable. We're begging for listeners. That's all we do. We all we got. Hey, Titans on three. One, two, three. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Music City Audible podcast presented by the Pharmacy, Burger Parlor, and Beer Garden in partnership with Broadway Sports Media and 440 Sports. I'm Justin Graver. Joining me, as always, is Justin Mello. We got a big mega episode this week. We're doing a recap of the Titans-Broncos game. We got a preview for Titans-Packers on Thursday Night Football and... We have a really special treat for you guys, an exclusive interview with Debo Samuel that we'll be playing a little bit of. Justin will explain later, but first, Justin, how's it going? Doing well. You said it. Just like the Titans, man, we're calling an audible. We're uh, we're going through some walkthroughs this week. Not, not, not a lot of time to run full practices, so we're hitting you with the recap, and, uh, and then we're hitting you with the preview in the same episode here. Yeah, I just sort of wonder how much people even care about the recap at this point. Titans <laughs> win a game that was semi-boring, 17 combined punts. People might be ready to just get onto the preview because it's such a short week, limited time to get ready for this game, mentally as fans, obviously, and for the team to actually get ready for this game but we are going to recap a titans victory 17 to 10 at home that was pretty close to our score prediction i would have to go back and check i'm pretty sure i said nine points for the broncos because i didn't think they'd get in the end zone but 17 to 10 we had benjamin albright on last week say it was a race to 19 nobody got to 19 (laughs) (laughs) it was a race that never finished yeah yeah titans uh (laughs) won the race without even crossing the finish line but Ryan Tannehill returned, had a great second half, struggled a bit in the first half, put together a nice two-minute drive. But in a game, I think the big story for me coming out of this game, well, there's two. There's one on each side of the ball. Number one is the Titans offense, despite limited and inefficient production from Derrick Henry, which is rare for this team, got a win. Usually, if Derrick Henry's not running the ball very well, The Titans do not win a game. And then on the other side of the ball, you have so many defensive starters out. Obviously, Harold Landry was was out before the season, but Bud Dupree, Jeffrey Simmons, Amani Hooker, Zach Cunningham, Christian Fulton, all ruled out before the game even started. Then you lose Elijah Molden and David Long briefly, and then again... During the middle of the game, Kevin Strong also went down, uh, one of the backup D-line, playing in place of Jeffrey Simmons, and yet this team still holds Lonnie Johnson Johnson out for the game. Caleb Farley uh, got hurt on a special teams play where he's been playing, you know, that's where he's been playing, and he's been doing a decent job there. Tons of injuries, and yet this Titans defense still holds the Broncos to 10 points and piles up six sacks on Russell Wilson. Did I even say Bud Dupree? This team was missing all their pass rushers. And, uh, and they still able to get six sacks, which I believe is a season high. What an effort on both sides of the ball by this team to just grind their way to a victory. Yeah, I'm going to – what I'll slightly disagree with you is I'm going to say what an effort by this defense, not not so much the offense in my opinion. I, I'm, I'm going to keep it real with our listeners. Um, I had a hard time getting excited for this game. Like I knew exactly how it was going to go. Like It was like 12.45 Eastern, and I'm like – yeah, I guess I should get the channel ready and, you know, go maybe put on a, a sweater or something. Like, I was just not really up for this one. And it sort of met my expectations, exactly what I expected. Like, the first half offense was so putrid. They just couldn't get anything going. They couldn't do anything right. 
they're fortunate that they have a defense this good, right? That can keep them in these games when they're not executing at, at the desired level. And, and it was sort of a rude awakening for me where I, I don't think every fan felt this way, but I do think it, it's been so bad the last few weeks, especially from a passing offense perspective, that we've almost gripped onto false hope by saying, oh, well, when they get, you know, when they get Traylon Burks back and, and now when they get Kyle Phillips back, like this thing's going to look a lot better. I mean, no, it probably won't. It didn't on Sunday, <laughs> and I think this is what it is, right? Like, yeah, Burks is going to make some plays occasionally that the other receivers can't, and, and Kyle Phillips will make some plays, I guess, that, that some of the other receivers can't, but they're not world beaters, and they're still rookies that are very much learning on the fly and acclimating to the pro ranks. The O-line is what it is. Pass protection is what it is. You know, Ryan Tannehill is is, is a fine quarterback, but again, he he's one that's – it's a system quarterback, and that's not an insult. Most NFL quarterbacks are system quarterbacks. That's the reality of the situation. You're seeing what Derek Carr is suffering in Vegas uh, from a system where he's previously thrived in a system and what Jimmy Garoppolo is doing because he's got a, a bit of a better system and playmakers around him. That, that's the deal with most NFL quarterbacks. And for this system, for Ryan Tannehill, it's a lack of talent on the O-line and at receiver, right? That's really hindering his upside. So th- this pretty much went how I thought it would um, I, I fall a little shorter than you do on, on heaping too much praise on the offense for coming back in this one. For me, I'm like 90% of this credit goes to the defensive side of the ball for me. I, I agree with you about the defense, but my, the only thing I'll say to that is that this Broncos team has played tremendously all season long and 17 points. They've only in their nine games, they've only allowed more than 17 points twice. So they hadn't allowed 19 and 32, 19 to the Chargers, 32 to the Raiders. So those are... Um, you know, that's not necessarily good, but division opponents that they allowed more points to. So the Titans, you know, I mean, tied for the third highest number of points that has been scored on this Broncos defense all season long, despite all the struggles they've had and the the lack of rhythm that Ryan Tannehill, I believe Tannehill started this game four of 13. Is that, in, is that wrong? Something I, like that. I, I think you're right. I, I can't say with certainty, but I remember seeing that graphic pop up on the screen and it was like for 39 yards or, or yeah. something along those lines, like, which I guess, you know, nearly 10 yards per, per uh, completion is, is not terrible, but um, <laughs> <laughs> certainly, uh, certainly I, I will say I'll, I, I do give them credit for coming back and winning the game because they were down 10, nothing. Yeah. And the way the offense was performing, it, it felt like there was 28, nothing, right? Like, it well, felt like, you saw tweets out there that said, like, this might be too much for this team to overcome after the Broncos scored one touchdown. That's how bad it felt during the game with, in terms of how the offense was producing. And, and I will say, like, the, the first touchdown pass to Nick Westbrook-Akine, terrific uh, pass by Ryan Tannehill, hanging there in the pocket. I believe he took a shot on the completion. Excellent ball placement, excellent toughness to even get that ball out of his hands. And then shout out Nick Westbrook Akine. That was I, I can't remember who the cornerback was right this second, but it was it was good coverage. Right. He was draped all over him. Westbrook Akine did a great job securing the ball. Uh the toe tap swag, getting that that second foot down and, and, and going to ground um with possession of the ball. So I thought it was a really good throw and a really good catch. And again, I, I believe it was on third and goal. Right. So yep. you kind of felt like oh From the nine. You know, yeah, they're going to miss an opportunity here potentially and, and just come away with three points, still be down 10-3. So th- I thought that was a really, really big play that helped shift momentum. Then obviously you get to the second half and and and, and the, fle- the flea flicker play, right? I mean, look, 
the Titans don't call that. I've seen a lot of stuff on Twitter on Monday about Mike Vrabel's comments about the play calling and how executing matters more than players, yada, yada. Teams don't generally call flea flickers unless they know their offense is struggling, right? And they need a pick-me-up. Like, some of those comments might have been frustrating by Vrabel, but they're they're very much aware of, of how bad this offense is right now. I haven't seen, you know, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but and I haven't watched every play this year, but I don't see the Buffalo Bills calling flea flickers with regularity. I don't see the Kansas City Chiefs calling flea flicker, right? Because they can just drop back and throw the football on you however the hell they want to, right? So this was very much a case of, our offense is struggling. We need to pick me up. How can we create something, right? That, right. that goes beyond just winning one-on-one or just executing uh, us against you and we execute. So, But it was a great play call, right, from Todd Dowding, or I guess it was Tim Kelly because it was a good play. But it was a great play <laughs> call. Uh, I, I really did love it. And, and it, look, it goes for a 65-yard touchdown, whatever it was, the game-winning score, the go-ahead score. Titans never looked back from that point on, put the, uh, the game in the hands of their defense that obviously answered the bell. And shout-out to Nick Westbrook because uh, he had to make a defender miss right onto the on the way to the end zone there and he did that right showed a little more elusiveness I think than you generally expect from him so what a terrific game for him I know a lot of those yards came on the flea flicker but anytime I I, I don't know if he surpassed 100 yards but he must have been awfully close to it uh, those two gains alone went for like 75 yards uh, oh, yeah. but certainly two touchdowns the only two touchdowns of the game so really big game for Nick Westbrook Five catches, team high for 119 yards, team high. Two touchdowns, which doubles the total that the receivers have scored this entire season. And eight targets, which was also a team high in this game. Nick Westbrook's second 100-yard game of his career, first two-touchdown game of his career. So, I mean, this was a huge game for him against a really good Broncos secondary that was without Justin Simmons. But, you know, Pat Sertan is a really good cornerback, and I guess the Titans avoided him most of the game. I do think, you know, it wasn't just that that third and goal touchdown pass from Tannehill. That was a 13-play, 75-yard drive where every single play was a drop-back pass attempt. And one of them was Tannehill scrambling to the uh, to the De- Denver 14-yard line for 11 yards and testing out that ankle. But every other play was a pass by Ryan Tannehill and uh, one to Derrick Henry for seven yards. And he hit uh, Robert Woods for a third and down com- conversion over the middle. Came back a couple of plays later, hit uh, Austin, or sorry, hit Nick Westbrook Kena for a big 16 yard game. Austin Hooper for five yards, Nick Westbrook for six yards, Traylon Burks for six yards, Robert Woods for four more yards. So spreading the ball around, dropping back with, with, you know, pretty good protection, but mostly just because he was decisive, got the ball out of his hands on time, accurate, which he hadn't been up to that point in the game. this They took over with 2.23 to play in the first half, and to that point, Tannehill had not been very accurate. He had, you know, he had an opportunity to hit Jeff Swaim in the flat early on where Swaim had tons of yards he could have taken that, that ball for. And yeah, Swaim's got to catch the ball because he was able to get two hands on it, but... You know, Tannehill just missed him with the accuracy of that throw. And there was a, a few plays where even Tannehill admitted in his postgame press conference that he wasn't sharp, he wasn't on his best game, and he had to pick it up. And he did pick it up, and that, that's a big reason why the Titans win. And that's why I want to credit the offense a little bit for what they were able to do in this game because a typical Titans successful offensive game starts with Derrick Henry. And this game, Derrick Henry was like it felt like every time they gave him the ball, the offensive line would create a tiny crease and then it would all collapse. And it was like two yard run after two yard run into piles of bodies where there was no running room at all. And Tannehill stepped up and put the team on his back. And yeah, there was a, a schematic 
advantage with the flea flicker where Nick Westbrook is wide open, but Tannehill's got to hit that throw. He didn't miss it. He hit Westbrook in stride so that he could run upfield and make the defender miss as opposed to like making him come back for the ball or dive for a catch or something like that. So just play after play, they converted when it was late in the game, and you have a third and six that turns into a third and 11 because Austin Hooper false starts, but then Tannehill fits the ball into Hooper, tight window, contested catch, and Hooper bounces off a couple bodies to pick up the first down. That's how you make up for a penalty on offense is uh, you make a play on the next very next snap. And it was just consistently making the right play to keep the Titans in position to win the game get down, get a field goal to make it a touchdown lead. Randy Bullock, by the way, 10 minutes before the game, like tweaked some muscle in his kicking area, and they weren't even sure if he was going to be able to play in this one, but he hit both his extra points and that field goal. So, I don't know. I, I know the Titans' offense didn't play great, and there was still too many penalties, too many drops, too many miscues, but they did enough against a tough defense on a day where what their game plan is, which is to give the ball to Derrick Henry, wasn't working. And even the big pass to Chiga Quanco, Tannehill said that that was something they saw on the sideline during the game, made the adjustment, said, we can hit this play if we dial it up right, and then they did. And it's just great to see the offense have the ability to make an adjustment in-game and create a huge explosive play out of that adjustment. So I totally agree with you. The defense deserves more credit. And Kevin Byard even said after the game, like, we know we don't have a team that's going to go score 30 points or maybe even 20 most weeks. Um, so we got to do our jobs, and we know that, and we got to be atten- have attention to detail and do all the little things. And they did all those little things, and they held the Broncos to 10 points. But, you know, there's been games this year where holding the team to 10 points doesn't necessarily mean the Titans <laughs> get the win. <laughs> Certainly feels that way. Before we switch over to the defensive side of the ball, um, can we talk about the fumble? Ugh. If we were doing beef of the week this week, which we're not because we're doing a double episode, so we're going to do worst matchup, my beef of the week would be, presented by the Pharmacy Burger, would be just the play call, the decision, timing in the game. It's like you don't need this gadget-ass play to get the third and short conversion. Just run your offense. Like like you said with the flea flicker, you pull that out of your butt when nothing's working. But on that drive, things are working. You're not even trailing, so you don't need to like pull this like weird thing where you gotta have it yards just a just a weird play to put Malik Willis in a position where again he could make a mistake that he doesn't even need to be in position to be possibly making so just to make sure our, our I'm sure our readers remember it but I want our our readers our listeners remember it but I want to make sure they're familiar with the situation right we were they were up 14 10 uh from Denver's 35 yard line third and two with 7.42 remaining in the fourth quarter. So clearly a crucial drive. You're trying to, you know, A, milk some clock, and B, uh, try to extend your lead to two scores, right? So uh, essentially putting this game to bed, which Titans haven't done all year long, right? I feel like they've put the defense in a position to win games for them, right? Like the the entire season, against the Raiders, against the Commanders, against the Colts at least once, if not twice. Like it's essentially always been putting it on the defense so third and two, 35-yard line, 7.42 left. Malik Willis enters the game. Sends Tannehill to the sidelines altogether, I believe. Right, Not like Tannehill was lined up out wide. Takes the snap, play action, tries to execute the read option uh, with Derrick Henry. Um, fumbled exchange. Certainly was. it looked like Willis's fault. It was just an astounding. Like As soon as I saw him come on the field and I saw him in the shotgun, I actually said, this is going to go poorly. Like something bad <laughs> is going to happen here. Like I can't believe I can sort of you know sit at home and say that. I, I, like I, I can't believe they call that play 
after the fumble against the Colts. And if you don't right. remember that one, I've, I've got the, the numbers here because I wanted to kind of compare it. Titans were up 16-7 in that one. 16-7. Uh, first and 10, Indianapolis is 44-yard line. So very similar spot on the field. Bit of a comfier lead in, in, the, in the Colts one. And not as crucial of the situation. It was first and 10. But still, 44-yard line. It was fourth quarter again, 11-10 remaining. Tannehill was on the field for this one, right? It's a little bit different of a play, right? Tannehill extended the ball in Willis's direction, who fumbled the exchange. Right. So, Willis was uh, at, at receiver on that one, running an end yes. around. And in this David game, he motion. was like... This one, he was the Wildcat quarterback, essentially. Even though he is a real quarterback, he was basically playing Wildcat quarterback on this play. It's, I, I understand they're somewhat different, but I, I, I can't believe the confidence to, to call that play after what happened in the Colts game, right? Like, yeah, okay, he started two games and they ran a couple of you know similar plays. But my man, let's look at let's. You want to look at the analytics or the averages? Like I, I didn't do the number. I didn't do the math because it's painfully obvious. How many of those opportunities has he run this season? He's they fumbled two of them. That's yeah. a really high margin, right? Like, what is he fumbling? One every five? You know what I mean? Like, it's every it's, five. How many plays has Malik Willis been involved in when he wasn't the starting quarterback for that day? I think two. Two. Yeah. Right. And he I'm, fumbled I'm, both I'm of them. I'm trying to be nice here. <laughs> I'm trying to be nicer. And include, yeah. you know, when he was starting against Houston and, and they ran some of those options in the backfield. Like, well, you're right. Two for two, two fumbles entering the game uh, to, to run a play in this scenario. So even if you're counting the ones he ran as a starting quarterback, the, the margin for error is small and the probability of error is high, right? Yeah. So <laughs> it's, to, to me, it's what really blows me away by the moxie to call that. Like I immediately said, this is going to go poorly. Like I could, I could not believe they were calling it in that situation. And uh, they're very fortunate it didn't cost them the game. Yeah, defense got a three and out right after that, which was a huge stop for them. And I, I feel like, I don't know, just to play devil's ad advocate i guess because i totally agree with everything you're saying but if i'm trying to understand the thought process and mike Vrabel said that they practiced it in the week to like have a clean exchange and know the read and like this was not just something they decided to do during the game but i still wonder if ryan Tannehill hadn't sprained his ankle a few weeks ago is malik willis even in for this play because we've seen the titans run the read option with Tannehill and henry and have a ton of success on third and short situations for the last three years but in this game Tannehill is dealing with a bum ankle he's already scrambled once and you could tell that that was causing him a lot of pain after that scramble so maybe this was a situation where they were like well Tannehill isn't in a position to run this play but we know we can find success with this play so let's put a quarterback out there who is athletic enough to potentially execute this play and then it was just a disaster from there I'm not saying that that excuses the decision to do it but if I had to try to understand the thought process like that's what I would guess but I don't know really questionable call I think it's very possible. I wouldn't rule it out. I think it's very, very possible that that's the case. Uh, but at the end of the day, I think you got to say, you know what? We just can't run it. If Tannehill can't run it, we can't run it. It's it's yeah. that simple. But uh, they didn't say that. They said, we'll put in a, a cold quarterback and, and ask him to come in and execute this in a crucial you know, point of the game where it's a third down. You're up four points in the fourth quarter. Uh you're essentially uh, within field goal range, maybe not in Randy Bullock's range. It was uh, would have been, I guess, roughly a 52-yarder, so you need a few more yards probably to feel comfortable, especially with him uh, having the, the apparent pregame injury. But either it's just a terrible call. They shouldn't have called it, and uh, it led to a, a very expected disaster in my opinion. Yeah. 
Um, switching sides to the defensive to the defense here. What a game by this defense! And you know they they pile up six sacks, five in the second half. In the second half alone, shout out to Wes um, at Titan Stats on Twitter for Wes on Broadway. Titans defense in the second half, zero points allowed. They forced the Broncos to go 0 for 8 on third down in the second half. They had those five sacks and the one game-sealing interception, and that was with majority of backups in, more backups than starters playing at that point in the game. And Danico Autry, zero sacks. But Danico Autry currently, as we head into Monday Night Football, leads all players in the NFL in Week 10 pressures generated so for every player playing this week Danico Autry had more pressures than anybody else with 11 quarterback pressures and second in the NFL this week right behind him was Rashad Weaver with 10 pressures so um, Autry doesn't actually end up in the stat sheet with any sacks he did have two QB hits Rashad Weaver ended up with a sack and a half a forced fumble and four QB hits and then some of the unsung hero guys that, that just stepped up and came to play in this game. Demarcus Walker with one and a half sacks, three quarterback hits. Mario Edwards Edwards Jr. had a sack and four quarterback hits. Naquan Jones got to the quarterback once. I mean, Dylan Cole had a, a blitz where he just annihilated Russell Wilson and got to the quarterback. So all around tremendous effort by guys that you're not necessarily expecting to step up. Like Autry leads his team in sacks right now. He had zero, and the Titans still had six sacks on the day. Again, without, without Jeffrey Bud Simmons, Dupree and Jeffrey without Simmons. Bud Dupree, without Harold Landry, obviously. Like, this is such a phenomenal effort that, th- I mean, the Titans won this game. You've said it all episodes up to this point now. The Titans won this game because of the defense, but mostly because of the pressure that the defensive line generated without their key starting players. So I want I want to give some some uh, dive a little deeper into the numbers and give some stats here. Cause shout out to our, our good friend Mike Herndon who brought this to my attention. I ended up writing a little article on it. Uh, it didn't even sound real to me at first. Titans have seventy seven pressures in their last two games against the Chiefs and Broncos. Like that is not a realistic number. Like how someone responded to Mike, I, I laughed out loud. Said the Raiders have six. And I think that was literal over the same time frame. So Titans have 77 pressures in their last two games. Raiders have six. Mind-blowing. Um, Mario Edwards Jr., eight pressures against the Chiefs last week, single-game career high, six against Denver yesterday. So talk about uh, carrying you know, carrying that performance over, following it up. You mentioned he's had sacks in back-to-back games. Dina Kowatri, these numbers are from Pro Football Focus. I don't know why they're slightly different because you said 11 pressures. They had Autry with 10 Either way, we're splitting hairs, I think, right? 10, 11 pressures is, is a hell of a day. He's got seven sacks already. He's two sacks away from matching his previous career high, which is nine, which he had last year, uh, his first year as a Titan. He also had in 2018. He obviously deserves a Pro Bowl appearance. Uh, one funny stat Mike tweeted to go along with this was that uh, Edwards Jr., he's now got 22 pressures on the season, Edwards Jr. had. That's more than Pay, Robert Quinn, Frank Clark, Jadavion Clowney. He's two pressures behind Jacksonville's number one overall selection, Trayvon Walker, who's played four more games than Edwards has, right? So just a little funny jab, I guess, at Jags fans, especially because you got him off their practice squad, right? Um, uh, so to speak. And then you also have Demarcus Walker, who you mentioned, right? Nine pressures in the last two games total. A little bit more modest, uh, but you know what? More efficient, right? One point, uh, a sack and a half, as you mentioned on Sunday, uh, a sack against Kansas City and a sack the week before that as well. So three straight games with at least one sack. 
for Demarcus Walker. I think he's up to like 4.5 sacks on the season. And then Rashad Weaver, who you mentioned, eight pressures against the Broncos I have here. First multi-sack game of his career uh, with the two sacks. Uh, and he also had uh, five pressures last week, right? So, and, and yeah. five and a half sacks on the year for Weaver. So, And we're tracking this. Weaver for double-digit sacks. We called it after week one. He's at five and a half sacks halfway yep. through the year. So he was on a, a really hot pace to start the year. Cooled off just a little bit, but he's back on pace to get to 10 sacks if he maintains what he's doing right now. It's unbelievable. What do I do up here every single week? And I'm going to do it again. And I think I'm probably going to forget some names this time because this one was extra crazy. Right. Mario Edwards Jr., Demarcus Walker. On Mario Edwards Jr., by the way, I just want to say the Titans are his sixth team in eight seasons. This is like a guy who has had, you know, I want to say chances to make an impact on this league all around the uh, so many different teams and never had really like became that guy. But for this Titans team, I don't know if it's what he's being coached to do, if it's this scheme, if it's playing with the guys he's playing with. But again, yesterday he wasn't playing with all those Jeffrey Simmons, Bud Dupree guys. So he's just somebody who's like taking advantage of an opportunity and really succeeding on this defense. Just a huge shout out to him. Anyway, continue. No, I want to build on that thought before I continue. Number 35 overall, I think it was 2015 overall draft out of FSU. Largely considered a bust. And you know what? Understandably so to a degree. Didn't finish his rookie contract out in, in with the Oakland Raiders. Um, that's rare you see that. 35th overall was cut three years in, so they they, they punted away that fourth and final year. Event, I think played really well one year in Chicago, signs a three-year $11 million extension, and then gets cut one year into that extension only. Right, I think there was a suspension maybe at some point. I, I Forgive me if I'm misremembering. Yeah, suspended uh, the first was, two games of 2021 for yeah. uh, PED policy. I thought so, yeah. And then it's on a practice squad in Jacksonville, right? So shout out to him. It's unbelievable. So pick up where I left off here. Mario Edwards Jr., Demarcus Walker, Dylan Cole, Monty Rice, I thought, gave them some good snaps at inside linebacker really for the first time this season. Of course, he missed most of the you know first, uh, first few games of the season with injury. Elijah Molden coming back, I think, played 50 snaps uh, at DB. That's big for him in his first game. Andrew Adams and Terrence Mitchell, who we keep heaping praise on, well, they continue to deserve it. They both played 100% of the defensive snaps in this game. They were on the field for every single snap. These are guys that were not in their plans at the beginning of the year. They right. had to replace Christian Fulton and Amani Hooker on Sunday. They both played 100% defensive snaps. I'm going to forget names because I felt like there were so many of them yesterday on Sunday. Kevin Strong, Naquan Jones comes up with a sack. That was a big underrated one we're not talking about enough because I think it was on third and 10. And Russell Wilson is just stepping into the... If it wasn't third and 10, it was second and 10. And yeah. Russell Wilson is stepping up and is about to take off. And there was a lot of green in front of him. He Against was gonna man run coverage, fifth, there was so yes. much space for him to go. He was going to run for at least 15 yards. So if it wasn't second... If it wasn't, sorry, if it wasn't third and 10, it doesn't matter. Because it was going to go for a first down. And it eventually led to a punt. Because just as he's about to break through the knife of that... The, you know, the middle of that defensive line and pass the line of scrimmage... Naquan kind of comes out of nowhere, wraps him up, gets him to the ground. That was an incredible sack by Naquan Jones. Laurel Murchison was up for this game. He gave them some snaps. Uh, Sam Okwanu, the undrafted free agent out of Maryland, was up for this game. Yes, he had a couple of issues. I think he 
lined up in the neutral zone, was called for an offside. I think he had another penalty. It uh, was like a roughing the passer. Roughing. But it was he, pretty, just, he went low wonky. on Russell Wilson. It wasn't that bad. Yeah, pretty wonky call. I'm not going to blame him for that one. Obviously, the neutral zone one, you can probably chalk that up to some inexperience. I think this was only his second or third career game at most uh, this year as a rookie UDFA. So... Am I for? I mean, Joshua Kalu, another name I forgot, played a bunch of snaps. I think PFF gave him the highest defensive grade for the Titans in this one. Got his hands on a ton of balls. Didn't dropped intercept two any inter- of them. Dropped two interceptions. But how do you make up for it? The end of the game there when Denver's putting a drive together. Uh, they're great drive, right? They were already on Tennessee's 20, 25-yard line. Certainly looked like they were going to tie this game. I even feared a situation like week one in the Giants. They might go for two here if they score. They don't, you know, they, they don't have much to lose here. They might go for two. Titans could lose this game in heartbreaking fashion what does Kalu do he tips a ball up Terrence Mitchell intercepts it um did I forget anyone here really the entire defense essentially that played on Sunday felt like it was all replacement level guys yeah you didn't even mention Kevin Byard but you know Kevin Byard didn't do anything super noteworthy he was in the right place at the right time doing his job as as usual there was the one breakdown that led to a 60 plus yard touchdown who who scored the touchdown? Tyree Cleveland, I think. No, um, wasn't it like Jalen Vigil or Virgil or something like that? Oh, yeah, that's right. Jalen Virgil. <laughs> Tyree Cleveland. <laughs> well, he was out there too making catches. Well, no, he, he had was. zero catches. Zero catches on three targets. No, Jalen Virgil, one catch, 66 yards, one touchdown. I just want to ask, how many receivers who are only playing because other receivers like Jerry Judy and KJ Hamler are injured – are going to score 60-plus year touchdowns on the Titans this season. The second one this year? Yeah, and then there was there's been some other big catches downfield that weren't necessarily touchdowns. But Jake Kumaro. Jake Kumaro with the Bills. Um, you had the uh, Matt Collins coming yeah. out party game just because Hunter Renfro was, oh, was down, although he's had Washington a decent one? season. Oh, the Diami Brown, who's only playing because Jahan Dotson, (laughs) only playing because Jahan Dotson is out. And now you have Jalen Virgil only playing because KJ Hamler's down and Jerry Judy, you know, gets hurt on the first series of this game. (laughs) And he scores a deep touchdown on the Titans. Some sort of miscommunication there between Terrence Mitchell and Elijah Molden. I tend to think that one was on Mitchell, who carried a vertical route up the seam instead of staying home on his deep third on the outside. But... That could be chalked up to, you know, Terrence Mitchell's only been in this defense for a handful of weeks, wasn't here learning everything in the offseason. So that that's not necessarily like a play that you can say will be repeated over and over again. Wasn't like he got beat. It was just a bad miscommunication. They went in the locker room at halftime, made the adjustments and didn't let it happen again in that game. But as we look ahead to the Packers and Christian Watson, who just scored three touchdowns, two of them long ones against the Cowboys, good defense. I get a little worried that, you know, the Titans need to watch the heads because you got guys going over the top, especially this talented rookie who's struggled with drops this year. I don't mean to switch to the preview so abruptly, but um, just something I was thinking about when Jalen Virgil scored that touchdown and then watching the Packers in the late window with Christian Watson finally not dropping balls, thinking to myself, is this a guy I want to pick up and start in fantasy because the Titans defense (laughs) seems to allow one of these plays per game almost? (laughs) Yeah, I mean... uh 
look, I, I still think this is a really good defense, but certainly, and I don't think these issues are as bad as they were. I, was it early last year? They gave up yeah. a ton of these. I feel like they've they've done better limiting them this year than they did throughout the early portion of last year. Uh, the last note I'll make on your thought in general is uh, not only is Terrence Mitchell uh, a few games in here, how often have him and Elijah Molden had to communicate, right? With this being Molden's first game this year. Uh, so obviously there, there's a wrinkle to work out there, but not overly concerned uh, about it. All right. Are you ready to transition to the preview Let's pod version of this? Let's pod? do it. So the first thing I want to talk about is the injury status of all these Titans players as we turn the page to Thursday night. Jeffrey Simmons, Amani Hooker, Zach Cunningham, Christian Fulton, David Long, Elijah Molden. I don't know if any of these guys will be ready to go on Thursday. And I almost wonder if it's worth, you know, putting some of these guys out there who could potentially aggravate or re-aggravate injuries. I mean, Elijah Molden went down with a groin in this game and was immediately ruled out, not questionable to return, but out. And um, the groin is what kept him on IR for the first half of the season. So I'm very skeptical that Elijah Molden will be back for this game. Jeffrey Simmons, you know, if this was a Sunday game, I might be more optimistic But the fact that it's this Thursday game, he was in a walking boot as recently as Friday last week, ruled out of Sunday's game on Friday, not a game time decision, not a questionable status, but just ruled out on Friday during practice last week. Short turnaround, you almost wonder if it's worth holding this entire slew of injured players out for one more NFC game on Thursday night and then give them all that extra, you know, mini bye week to get back for Cincinnati the following week. I just don't know if we see any of these guys make make their return here. And Mike Vrabel was asked a little bit about this on Monday morning in his press conference. Basically, somebody said, like, what is it like? How how do you go about gauging if somebody's ready to return? And Mike Vrabel said, well, we're never going to put players in like health in jeopardy. If there's a chance that they can re-injure or aggravate an injury, we're not going to put them on the field, which sounds a little bit like an explanation for why Ryan Tannehill didn't play against the Chiefs. But also sounds like, you know, getting ready to rule some of these players out early in the week because they're just not quite ready to make it back for a Thursday night. And when you have that extra time off after the Thursday game to get some of these guys healthy for what could be a big AFC playoff seeding match determination against the Bengals the following week, how important is this Green Bay game when it comes to like risking the health of some of your star players? Yeah, I don't think you're going to risk the health of some of your star players. Like, for example, Zach Cunningham's not even an option, right? Because they put him on IR, I believe, so he's out four games. I think Amani Hooker will probably be close, I assume. I got the sense he was pretty close on Sunday. I think Simmons is is the big one here, and I imagine we won't see him. When, When I think of what you're saying about risking the health of your players. I think he's the biggest one here because A, he's your best overall player, period, in my opinion. Uh, And and secondly, the walking boot uh, that he was in recently, the ankle, that's really the big one they've got to decide on here. And uh, unfortunately, you'd love to see him on prime time. You'd love to see him go up against the Packers, who are running the ball really well all of a sudden, by the way. Uh, You'd love to see him opposite, of course, different sides of the ball. But Kenny Clark on Green Bay, who's another one of the better interior defensive linemen in the league. You'd like to see both of those guys get a chance to go head-to-head. So rarely, obviously, they get a chance to do that, especially under the bright lights of primetime. So uh, you'd love to see Jeffrey Simmons in this game. National audiences deserve to see Jeffrey Simmons in this game, uh, but I I, I don't think it's going to happen. And then 
like, I, can they even feel the defense, right? <laughs> like, you talk about, I am worried about uh, Elijah Molden. How much time he just missed with the groin injury. Like, he missed a lot of time, right, to get past this groin injury. Re-aggravated on Sunday, not a good sign. Then I, I even think of guys like Kevin Strong, who's giving them snaps, and Lonnie Johnson that's giving them snaps. Like, you're probably going to see a lot of Andrew Adams again, a lot of Terrence Mitchell, a lot of, you know, Dylan Cole, a lot of... Uh, probably Naquan Jones a little bit again, a, a, a lot, a lot of Demarcus Walker and, and Mario Edwards Jr. again. Can you get Bud Dupree up for this one? I think it's possible. Honestly, no matter how much time you give him off, it, who knows, right? <laughs> when he's going to be fully past uh, whatever's been bothering him all year long. It's a hip now. So this this is going to be tough. It's, it's going to be tough. And I have a feeling... The injury reports, uh, as we wait to see them here on you know Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, even they're going to be really, really lengthy, really, really concerning, and uh, I, a lot of guys are probably going to miss this one. Yeah, I, I, and you wonder if David Long, like I'm not even sure what his status was. I know he returned right. to the game and left again. Did he come back after that? I don't think he did. So your starting linebackers might be Monty Rice and Dylan Cole in this game. Your starting defensive line. <laughs> likely again without Bud Dupree and Jeffrey Simmons. Your starting safeties, likely again without Amani Hooker. You hope Christian Fulton can get back to play corner because you really need him. But, you know, ruled out late in the week with a hamstring injury is never a good sign for coming back on a short week after that. And I don't think this was a situation where the Titans said, let's hold these guys out because we need them in a big Thursday game the following week. I think this, I mean, that that's not how they operate. They say, is this guy healthy enough to play today or not? And so I don't think they, if you're holding out any hope that it was like, ah, the Broncos offense isn't very good. Let's hold out some of these key players until Thursday. So they're, so that they are not banged up on Thursday night on a short week. I don't really buy into that theory that I've seen floated around a little bit. No, neither do I. And sorry, I'm just thinking out loud here, not to, not, not change topics very much the same, but they're going to have to look at this practice squad and see which guys they could elevate, right? Like, if Lonnie Johnson is out, do they give thought to a guy like Shaheem Carter? I certainly think you're going to see Laurel Murchison again, um, probably in this one, elevated from the practice squad. And then I think of a guy we haven't seen in a few weeks, like Joe Schobert, right, who, who played pretty well for them at linebacker uh, against the Colts a couple of weeks ago, if David Long can't go. So th- th- this thing is is pretty rough. Again, lots of Joshua Kalu, lots of Andrew Adams, lots of Mario Edwards Jr., Demarcus Walker, a lot of I mean, Dylan Cole might have to play 100% of defensive snaps in this one. Uh, D tackle is really rough, right? If Jeffrey Simmons can't go, again, you're looking at guys like Sam uh, Quanquo and, 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 and Naquan Jones or El Murchison, like they're, they're just going to be struggling to get bodies out there, I fear. And you look at the matchup, you know, with this Packers team, Five-game losing streak heading into last week. They beat a really good Cowboys defense and Cowboys team overall, obviously, in overtime, which you like to see, you know, the opponent you're playing uh, a week before a Thursday night short week game have a game that goes into overtime, a big emotional win coming off five straight losses when, you know, it looked like their season was hanging in the balance. You'd much rather they get that win last week than come into this game with their season really on the line, but... At the same time, I look at their games recently. In the last three weeks, the Packers have played the Cowboys, the Lions, and the Bills. Now, I'm going to disregard the Lions because their defense has been terrible all season, although they played really well in that game, and they had two red zone interceptions on Aaron Rodgers. But when it comes to getting pressure on the quarterback and affecting the quarterback, the the two best teams in the league are the Cowboys and the Bills, in my opinion, in terms of just pure talent on the defensive line. The Bills got two sacks and four quarterback hits on Aaron Rodgers. The Cowboys had two sacks and two quarterback hits on Aaron Rodgers. 
These are two of the best defensive lines in the league, and they barely got, you know, hits and sacks on Rodgers. This Titans team coming off, I think it's now, I think the graphic during the game last week we saw was five straight games with at least three sacks for this Titans defense. That's on the line here because, you know, this Packers offensive line, while it's been shuffled around a little bit, while David Bakhtiari's been kind of in and out of practice and you're never really sure of his status heading into any given game, they've protected Rodgers well. And not only that, Rodgers is one of the best in the league at helping his offensive line, at moving subtly in the pocket and buying time to find receivers downfield, can throw from every single possible arm angle and, and launching platform. And might finally be on the same page with his talented rookie receiver who's struggled, you know, with the with the mental side of the game with dropping the ball so far this year. Sets up for a potentially perfect storm of not good for the Titans defense going up against, you know, the reigning two-time MVP despite the struggles they've had this year. Yeah, they've been a bad football team uh, this year, no doubt about it. But uh, I do think you they're not dead yet is, is really the point I want to make. That win was huge. On Sunday, in overtime over Dallas, it was at Lambeau. Dallas has been quite good this year. It's also a reminder of how good Green Bay is at Lambeau. And and the Titans, this is where this game is, right? The Titans got to travel to Green Bay to play on primetime. Never an easy environment to play. You might remember the last time they played here, it was like a cold, snowy. It was like two years ago only, right? And, well, this we thought this is going to work well in the Titans' favor in the weather environment and run Derrick Henry, and the Titans lost by a billion, we were reminded of how good Green Bay is at home and how if you think you might think you're a cold weather team. Well, the Green Bay Packers are a cold weather team. They're used to playing in that uh, in that environment. But that was, was a 40 a to 14 loss. And yeah, I believe Ryan Tannehill had like a 60 yard rushing touchdown. Yes. That yeah, that was the one that you thought got them back in it. But spoiler 45 alert, yard it did rushing it. touchdown. <laughs> when, I, when I look at this Packers team on Sunday, I see that Aaron Jones ran for 138 yards on 24 carries in a touchdown. That's an average of 5.8 yards per carry. He had a long of 30. I feel like they finally recommitted to running the football on Sunday. And it showed you why. And I, I, you know, I, I don't know why they weren't kind of pounding him a little earlier in the year, especially with their issues at receiver. I look at AJ Dillon in this same game, despite Jones having 24 carries, Dillon had 13, 65 yards, five yards a carry. These two guys are one of the best one, two punches in the backfield in the NFL. Titans have the best run defense in the league. This is very much a, uh, uh, what's the saying? A movable object, yada, yada. That's one of those things, right? (laughs) An unstoppable force meets an immovable object. So I'm really curious to see, See how this goes between Jones and Dylan and the Titans run D because I really do feel like Green Bay, Matt LaFleur, they've recommitted to this. Made Aaron Rodgers a bit more of a game manager. Yes, those three touchdowns were very impressive, but he was overall just 14 of 20 for 224 yards. It's obviously a very efficient stat line, only six incompletions versus three touchdown passes, but it kind of shows you how I think they should be playing football because they, yes, it was a big coming out party for Watson, but he's still taking his bumps and bruises. He missed one big opportunity on a deep ball because he looked back um, at Rodgers instead of looking for the ball. Right. And uh, couldn't kind of regather himself and uh, really missed a chance to make whatever a 40, 50 yard uh, gain down the sideline, it appeared to be. So he's still taking his bumps and bruises. He's still learning on the fly. Uh, but I, I do worry about the Packers uh, that win on Sunday and how they're playing. And if you look at the playoff picture, like they're not dead yet in the NFC, not by any stretch of the imagination. Like they're four and six. Uh, the final wild card team in the NFC is the San Francisco 49ers, who are five and four. Like Green Bay is right there as of now. As as we know, seven teams make the playoffs now um, in the new format. They're the ninth seed. 
right out of seven in the NFC and Washington who are four and five. They haven't played it on Monday by this recording. They're the eight seed and they beat green Bay this year. So even if they lose on Monday, they'll still be the eight seed and have the head to head, but it just goes to show you like if Washington loses green on Monday, uh, green Bay is tied right for the worst for the, sorry, the best record that is right outside a playoff spot. So they're right there in this thing. Uh, they found life on Sunday. They're going to come into this game motivated. It's prime time. They're playing at home. They're banged up too, right? They, they've yeah. had a lot of injuries lately. Uh, Rashawn Gary suffered a season-ending injury. They've been losing. Guy, the guy's been dropping like flies in Eric Green Bay. Stokes. So. Yeah, Eric Stokes. That's another one. So they're entering this game fairly banged up as well. Make no mistake about it. It's not just the Titans, but uh, I, I certainly ha- share some of the same concerns that you have. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those games where now, I don't mean to sound like the Titans can afford to lose games because they have definitely need to try to win every game, and you know that they definitely will try to win every game. But you look at the division, obviously the Colts beat a really, really bad Raiders team that has struggled more than anybody to close out games this year. So you you don't try not to take too much away from that in terms of how good the Colts are with Jeff Saturday as head coach now. And, you know, we've seen it. Time and time again in this league, a team fires their head coach and the team gets fired up and goes out and wins their next game and then struggles for the rest of the season. So Titans currently 6-3 and three with the Colts 4-5-1 and one behind them. Colts have not had their bye yet, so they played one extra game. That tie that was a tie instead of a loss is going to keep the Colts within striking distance potentially, but the Titans have that tiebreaker over them. Of course, they won't have a tiebreaker. Tiebreaker will never come into play because of the tie, unless the Titans tie a game somewhere down the road. Um... That's like a half win for the Colts in terms of their win percentage. So the Titans have a sizable lead in the division, but it's not a stranglehold right now. If the Colts had lost this past week, then it could be maybe considered more of a stranglehold. But all that to say, you have an NFC opponent. You know, it's not going to affect your playoff seeding tiebreakers in terms of conference record or or even record against common opponents because most of the AFC teams are not going to play the Packers this year. This game, you're almost playing right now, the Titans are, to get healthy and get in sync and play your best football at the end of December, beginning of January, to where this game, win or lose, isn't going to affect their playoff standing too much. Obviously, you'd rather win every game. Obviously, you know, with the Bills on a two-game losing streak, you have a shot at that one seed. Granted, you lost to Kansas City and you lost to Buffalo, so you're going to have to like make up some ground there. You don't get to play the Dolphins this year, so you have no chance to make up ground there. you got to hope they just lose games. Should the Titans play for the one seed? You know, at worst, they're going to be the four seed with a home playoff game because they're going to win the AFC South. You just wonder if they get out of this game healthy and get ready for a huge conference matchup playoff rematch with the Bengals the following week. I want the Titans to win this game. I think, you know, you pound it with Derrick Henry, you stop the run, and you try to find some explosive plays and execute in the red zone. That's how you can beat this Packers team. But it's not the worst thing in the world if they can't come out on top here, regroup for Cincinnati, and a stretch against some good teams coming up after that, and then see how things develop from there, I think. Yeah, I think... we can't uh, overstate the importance, uh, hopefully, of the mini buy they're about to get, right? Like, you got to suck it up and go play this game, and it's awful, and you're super banged up. And Thursday night football is terrible. It should be outlawed, period, because it's so bad for the health of the players. But you got to go do it. And then hopefully, these next 10 days, um, you can use to get healthy because that's what they really need to do here. Yeah. So, what has to go right for the Titans to win this game? You got to get pressure on Aaron Rodgers. 
can't allow too many big plays over the top of your head. You know, one, maybe you can get away with, just like they did against the Broncos. And I do expect to see the Packers taking deep shots to Christian Watson in this game. Can the Titans come up with deflections, breakups, or maybe Christian Watson drops the ball on when those plays happen? Can you get enough pressure on Aaron Rodgers to make him uncomfortable early in the game so that he starts feeling it later in the game, even if the pressure isn't as much as it could be? And then on offense, you gotta you gotta get Derrick Henry going. I know they just won a game that they didn't get Derrick Henry going, but I think the key to beating this Packers team is, you know, they wanna play the same brand of football the Titans do right now because they've struggled so much to pass the ball and to and to get on the same page with Rodgers and his new receiving core this year. You said it already. This was a huge change that happened against the Cowboys. The commitment to the run, only having Rodgers throw the ball 20 times, felt like a Titans game. That's how the Titans play football. They give the ball to Derrick Henry. They they mix in the other backs a little bit. And Tannehill throws the ball 20 to 25 times with high efficiency. And that's how they want to win football games. So this is going to be a battle of two teams kind of trying to do the same thing. You mentioned the Titans have that good run defense, but it's not the same without Jeffrey Simmons and Bud Dupree setting the edge and Zach Cunningham and David Long coming up the middle from the linebacker position. I mean, Cunningham hasn't played that great of football this year, but definitely David Long has. So can they stop the run with the backups in? They did a pretty good job against Denver. Denver hasn't run the ball very well this year. Packers, Mike Rabel said it in both press conferences already this this past weekend. The Packers have run for over 200 yards in three of their four wins this year. They did it against good defenses like the Bills and the Cowboys. Stopping the run, but more importantly, stopping the run in the red zone and forcing them when they get in the red area to go to field goals instead of touchdowns. I mean, that's crucial every week, but especially against a team that runs the ball this well with such an elite quarterback under center. You know, the Titans have to execute well and stop them in the red zone, convert third downs, and most importantly, get Derrick Henry going. Because if Henry can rip off chunks, you know, six to eight to ten yard carries as opposed to those zero to two yard carries he was doing against the Broncos last week, that is a recipe for keeping Aaron Rodgers on the sideline. They want to run the ball. They're going to be slow. The more possessions you can take away from that offense and slow the game down even more, which the Titans always try to do, the better off you'll be in uh, having this game. You know, I expect it to be pretty close down the wire, and it could be a situation of whoever has the ball last has a chance to win the game, which is how basically every Titans game has gone this year, except for the Bills game. <laughs> yeah, I agree. To be honest, I don't have anything to add. <laughs> All right. So final score prediction. Yeah, I think I have a feeling you and I are both picking Green Bay here, or maybe you'll you'll switch your answer after hearing mine, but... Um, I agree with pretty much everything you said. I think Titans are a little too banged up in this one. Short week going to Lambeau, really tough environment to play against a team that uh, probably believes they've just found themselves and thinks they can turn their season around with a a reigning MVP under center. I think it's going to be close, but I'm going Green Bay 23, Tennessee 16. Oof. Okay. I'm actually picking the Titans in this game. And... um... The reason is, you know, I do think that they should be able to stop the run, even with all the, the problems I just mentioned. I think, you know, maybe one or two of these players that you're that have been out maybe can come back for this game. I think if Christian Fulton can play that, that might be the biggest piece. Obviously, Jeffrey Simmons is the best player on the defense. But when it comes to drop off from the starter to the backup, especially with, you know, Caleb Farley out and who knows who and, and Elijah Molden out, it's going to be Terrence Mitchell, Roger McCreary and who? Trey Avery, uh, an extra safety. Josh Kalou, I think, is what they were Josh doing a Kalu, lot probably. in this past game. Or but, if Amani Hooker is back, keep in mind. Amani or if Amani Hooker is back, then that helps a lot. But I think, you know, having Christian Fulton able to kind of neutralize uh, a player who has struggled a lot this year but made a bunch of plays 
on Sunday in Christian Watson, if Christian Fulton can play, that kind of takes away that element from the Packers offense at least a little bit. So I'm counting on one or two of these guys that we that we have t- we've discussed at length now to be back in this game. But I do think going to overtime for the Packers on a short week, suffering a couple more injuries that they did in this past game, and getting that emotional big win could be enough, you know, mentally to give the Titans the edge. Now the Titans are on the road, but it's a Thursday night. We've seen crazy things happen on Thursday nights. Home teams barely have an advantage over the past two seasons in the NFL anyway. So I'm going to go Titans 20, Packers 17. I think it's close. I think the Titans win on a game-winning field goal. Don't miss it, Randy Bullock. You missed one this year. Don't do it again. <laughs> but that's what I'm going with, 2017 Titans. I love it. I, I, had, a feeling, I had a feeling you were going to switch up on me here, but I, I've been going Green Bay. You're going Titans. I hope you're right. Yeah. All right, so those are our score predictions. I think we'll finish off this little preview with our worst matchup of the week. I teased it earlier, presented by the Pharmacy, Burger Parlor, and Beer Garden, home of the best worsts in Nashville, in addition to incredible burgers and local brews. But the worst matchup of this week, W-U-R-S-T, is, in my opinion, Terrence Mitchell against Christian Watson. I've been talking about it a lot, and I really think it comes down to just making the play downfield. Mitchell had a great pass breakup on an attempt downfield to Cortland Sutton against the Broncos, but we've seen him get burned deep already this year on, a, on other plays. And obviously, you know, the Jalen Virgil touchdown also did it. So I do think that if, K, especially if Christian Fulton can't play in this game, Terrence Mitchell going up against Christian Watson, as much as Terrence Mitchell has shown some improvement in this system and got the game clinching interception last week, I just worry that. You know, down the down the sideline, Christian Watson is a big athletic receiver going up, high pointing a ball over Terrence Mitchell's head. I can almost see it happening already in my mind's eye. That to me is the worst matchup uh, in this game for the Titans. I'm glad we're picking different ones. I thought of going in a few different directions. I'm going to go Kenny Clark against Aaron Brewer. Kenny Clark's a terrific player, had a sack against the Cowboys on Sunday, now has three sacks this year. Very much made in, in a similar mold to Jeffrey Simmons in the sense that he's an elite pass rusher from the interior. I don't think there are a lot of elite interior pass rushers in the NFL. I do think Kenny Clark is one of them. Uh, I really don't like the matchup uh, against Aaron Brewer, who's had struggles all year long in pass pro, had another rough one on Sunday. Uh, I think Kenny Clark is, is, again, one of the best D tackles in the NFL, and it's probably going to give Brewer a lot of fits on Thursday. Yeah, I could totally see that happening. Brewer had a, another holding call against the Broncos last week and has struggled a bit against the powerful interior rushers that this league provides all right that is our titans packers preview anything else justin yeah i've got a little treat for our listeners an exclusive treat we typically bring a guest on this show and although we don't have a full-time guest uh, or a full episode guest i should say here this week i do have something pretty cool to play our listeners with san francisco 49ers wide receiver debo samuel you're probably uh, raising your eyebrows at that one but I recently, and I mean very recently, had a chance to sit down with Debo Samuel uh, and, and interview him and discuss a new series that he's 
Sounds for over a YouTube series. It's a multi-episode series that chronicles Debo Samuel's life both on and off the field. It's a really fascinating watch. I highly recommend you 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 head over to YouTube Overtime channel and and watch it because it, it talks about the contract negotiations, the initial trade request. It's actually really really interesting. You don't have to be a Titans fan to enjoy it. So while I had this opportunity to talk to Debo Samuel and, and interview him about this and and his season up to date. I thought of how I could sort of tie in, you know, this clip in, into this podcast. And what are the Titans' offensive identity, right? Ideally, we talked about it a little on this episode. They use the run to set up the pass, right? That's their identity with Derrick Henry and Ryan Tannehill, play action heavy, a passing attack. The run sets up everything for them, essentially. 49ers run a very similar offense, right? It's an outside zone based uh, that uh, a rushing attack that Kyle Shanahan calls down there. And they too use the run to set up pass, right? Not a lot of, co- not a ton of confidence in my opinion. This is my evaluation. Quarterback Jimmy Garoppolo probably place him in a similar tier to Ryan Tannehill as far as league-wide quarterbacks go. So as I had a chance to sit down with Debo, I asked him about using the run to set up pass, right? Again, and 49ers had a lot of success doing that, just like the Titans have at times. And the 49ers, for what it's worth, the reason I chose this episode to do this is they've had a lot of success against the Packers as of late. Right, They had postseason wins against them in 2019 and 2021, both of which they ran the ball with a ton of success. I imagine the Titans will try to do the same against Green Bay. Kind of, you, know, you, you pay attention to how San Fran had that success, and they'll try to uh, run the ball a lot and use it to set up pass. So I asked Debo about using run to set up pass as a general offensive strategy. I thought it was particularly noteworthy, again, because these offenses are so similar, right? With what Kyle Shanahan calls, the Titans are still running a variation of what Matt LaFleur installed several years ago. Matt LaFleur, you all know this by now, learned with Sean McVay. That's all the Shanahan offense, right? It all comes from the Shanahan coaching tree. So Very similar offenses here. The clip you're about to hear uh, between myself and Debo Samuel hasn't been heard anywhere else. It's not available anywhere else. So a little treat for our listeners on what Debo Samuel, how Debo Samuel feels in general about using run to set up pass in an offense with the context here that's very similar to what the Titans run. Nice. So that's quite a treat. Let's go to it right now. Let's hear from Debo Samuel after your conversation with him. And speaking of, you know, the way you were involved with the run, I wanted to get your general thoughts on sort of using run to set up pass sort of as a useful offensive strategy. Cause you yourself, you've obviously had so much success running with the ball in your hands. You've helped your offense, you know, use run to set up pass and, and people say it's a pass happy league, but teams that can't run the ball are struggling a little bit this season. Right. So what are your general thoughts on using run to set up pass? Um, I would say I, I don't have, you know, I, I play a good role in this offense, but I wouldn't say we necessarily do that because of me, because if you go back to 2019, I ain't play a little bit of running back and we went to the Super Bowl. Um, so, like, I think that's just Kyle M.O., you know what I'm saying? Um, we'll run first. I mean, if you can't stop the run, we're going to run the ball down and throw until you stop it. And then they're going to come for the time where, like, you get teams want to stack the box, and that's why I play pass and all that other stuff come in, and that's how Kyle gets so creative. Wow, really great stuff there from Debo. Yeah, again, make sure you head over to YouTube, head over to the Overtime YouTube page and watch the O-Film series uh, by and for Debo Samuel. Really fascinating multi-episode thing that they did there that really chronicles his life both on and off the field. Fatherhood, contract negotiations, trade requests. It's a really, really good watch. Nice, yes. Everyone should check that out. And everyone should also check out broadwaysportsmedia.com in addition to the pharmacy, burger parlor, and beer garden. Great place to head this 
Sunday for a nice meal because you don't have to worry about watching the Titans. That will happen on Thursday. Justin and I will be back on Friday, so we're still giving you two episodes this week. It's just a little different because of the way that the Thursday night schedule works out. So we're going to recap Titans-Packers on Friday, and then we'll be back the following week to preview the Cincinnati Bengals game. The uh, Titans will have a huge AFC showdown there, so hopefully they can get a win on Thursday. But if not, it doesn't end the season. It's Everything will be perfectly fine, I promise, when it comes to playoff standings and everything. This is ultimately not that big of a game, despite this being like a, a somewhat marquee matchup with a legendary football organization in the Green Bay Packers at Lambeau Field. Hopefully we'll have some Lambeau leaps by some Titans players. But until then, check out broadwaysportsmedia.com, especially the Broadway Insider Pass. Yeah, become a Broadway Insider today. It's $6.99 a month. You could use the code INSIDER to get your first month for just $0.99 cents, or use the code ANNUAL uh, for a total of $49.99 for your first year. Lots of great uh, benefits to becoming a Broadway Insider. We've got the Mike Herndon Show uh, behind the table. That's a weekly video show going out every week with your favorite Mike Miracles, Mike Herndon. That's obviously a big perk to becoming a Broadway Insider. You get early access to some of the podcasts. Uh, a lot of written content behind that paywall. Whether that written content comes from me, it comes from Zach at uh, F-Words Pod. Uh, it's coming from Easton. There's a lot of content coming your way if you're a Broadway insider. Become an insider today. You won't regret it. And also be sure to look at all the podcasts and other content Broadway sports media has to offer. All right, that'll do it for us. Follow Justin on Twitter at JustinM underscore NFL. You can find me at Titans Film Room. Again, we'll be back on Friday to recap this game. So until then, you all stay safe out there and tighten up. A Broadway sports media production.